Hey friends, welcome back to Geological. My guest today is Mary Beth M.B. Huey. I like this from her website. This is what she says about herself. She, she writes this on her website. It's right up at the top, editor, writer, acupuncturist. Whoa. I think she does a great job of introducing herself. So much so, I'm just going to read you a paragraph from her website. Get this. I love working with entrepreneurs, makers, artists, writers, performers, restaurant owners, in short, people whose work demands something particular of them, people whose personal unfolding happens through their work. Whoa. I'm a huge fan of marketing by having us speak in our own authentic voice. And I got a feeling that MB here, we're on the same wavelength. And you know, learning to speak in your own authentic voice, no easy task. So I'm looking forward to sitting down here with MB for a little conversation on marketing, authenticity practice, making good and doing good as an acupuncturist. MB, welcome to Geological. I am tickled to be here. Thanks for having me. So I often like to begin with where people came from, how they got started doing what they do. How did a writer type character like you get involved with acupuncture? Well, like many people I find in the West, I got into acupuncture through my own personal experience with it. So in college, I majored in English and French. And after college, I went um, to translation school in California. But before I did that, I had I deferred my acceptance for a year and I went back to France to teach English in high school. And I enjoy travel and yet it, it wears on my physicality heavily. So I had a migraine shortly after I arrived. And one of the teachers at the school was like, you should, you should try acupuncture. And I thought, well, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But I also, <laughs> I also didn't used to like creme brulee, you know, like sometimes we try new things and we find out that they're amazing. That's so, right. So this is in France. You tried acupuncture in France. I tried acupuncture in France. With a French accent. With a a French accent. And it was, um, I was an employee of the state. And so I paid, I believe I paid like $10 for my acupuncture, if that. And I had one of those miraculous experiences with it that people have sometimes, you know, first time it was just, it was wild. And I was lying there and I felt like I remembered something that I had forgotten. That's, that was the feeling I had with acupuncture. Like it, it was so embodying for me, but without separating me from my thoughts, I, I it was hard to describe. So a variety of things happened and I ended up leaving translation school because I wasn't well and Western medicine sort of scratched his head at me and I'm so glad it did. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, yeah, that's, that's the good news. Isn't that's it? the good news. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I ended up moving back to my, to my town of origin, which is in the Bible belt of Virginia. And there was an acupuncturist there and I was like, what? I can't believe it. So I started going to her and my whole life changed. And ultimately, and at the time I was, I was doing writing and marketing work and ultimately decided that um, I wanted to study it. Cause the more I learned about Chinese medicine, of course, the more I realized, wow, this is worth my time. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I dove on in. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of us came to it that way. Mm-hmm. Somebody suggested it. And our first thought is what the hell? Right. That's weird. You, mm-hmm. I, that's weird. I mean, even though I'm open-minded, like really seriously, what? Yeah. What's that even going to do? Right. Mm-hmm. And like you said, this one really sticks with me. You remembered something that you'd forgotten. Yeah. Do you ever have that feeling right before you fall asleep? This is where it occurs to me the most. I'll be almost asleep. So I have crossed the threshold from one state of consciousness to another. And I go, ah, that's what it was. Like I have this feeling of remembering. And, and I think that is really just about going into this other state of awareness. That's, that's what I think it is. It's not like I'm actually remembering a thing I forgot like to do. It's just a way I forgot to be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt on that table in France. I had no idea what was happening. I was on my stomach. I think he, I, he must've done um, back shoes. 
And it may have even been AE. I have no idea. But I had that feeling of, oh, yeah, that's what it, that's how I forgot to be. There it is. That's Beautiful. it. Yeah. So I want to take that sensibility and dive into talking about marketing. Yeah. Okay. Because, okay. you know, we, we've had a little bit of conversation prior uh-huh. to getting on the line here. We have. We, we both seem pretty lit up about tell the story of who you are and what you do in your yes. own voice. There's nothing more powerful than your own voice. And yet it's so hard for so many of us to know what that is. And, and I think it comes right back to remembering something that we'd forgotten. Can we actually remember who we are, not in an egotistic, narcissistic way, but like who we are, like just are. Yeah. In, in a way that we can talk about what we do and uh, and invite people in to get some help with what we do. Yeah. And I, I think that invitation piece is the, that word you just used, invite people in. I feel like that's really key because, and and I know from listening to your to Chi Logical and from, from reading your website that, that you're on board with this. But, but I, I think that one of the places people get stuck is that if marketing is an invitation, which to me it ultimately is, if we're doing it um, authentically and cleanly without, without coercion, then, then there's a vulnerability in that, right? Because we're saying, would you like to? And people might decline. People and, will decline. We, yeah, we, we, right. you know, it's a little yes. bit like dating, right? Oh my God, totally. there's this attractive woman. I'd love to talk to her, but what if she says no? Right, right. right. Yeah. And so I think that that's a place where people, where, where entrepreneurs have have difficulty because it's, it is such a vulnerable place to be. And, and also, I think we know from Chinese medicine that that there ain't nothing stronger than the heart, mm. like nothing. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. So, so creating a situation where we are truly, authentically in the in the fire element sense of authenticity, right? Not in the like, oh my god, that's authentic. Let's put it on Instagram because that that exists too. It's it's become a buzzword. Uh, but I think we have an understanding of what authenticity is if we understand the fire element. Well, and, and what I just heard you say is authenticity not as a meme, but as a but as a conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right because that that is the gift of the fire element is that it it, it back and forths with people, right? It's connection. It's it's not fake connection. And so often marketing is fake connection when really it's what, what happens is that people do a coercive kind of thing. They're like, okay, I want to learn your fears so I can scare you into believing you need this. You need me. And that doesn't feel good for anybody. And those relationships never work out well. No. And, and, and actually that's the one that I think we all cringe at when we think of some schmarmy marketer. Mm-hmm. I, I think we are reacting to that cold water fear that's being presented, not that mm-hmm. warm, loving fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Because <laughs> like, that's, that's cringeworthy. And I think too, in our position, Michael, like we have, as, as people working in a healing modality, we're, we have, we have a responsibility, I think, to wield that power appropriately. And, you know, it's like, so I mentioned to you that I'm from the Bible Belt and I have seen, um, it's such great fodder for like, for everything growing up in that environment and not really being a part of it. I I would see how there were two kinds of ministers or preachers or, you know, pastors, whatever you want Mm. to call them. The one kind was the kind that was really very loving and into um into god's love however they see it and probably not how i see it but but still a very genuine experience of that and then the other kind was very into the power of being in the role of pastor because people 
flock right to that authority and it can be similar i think in a healing environment and and i think we really have to discern within ourselves and i think that's what cultivation's about too is is being really focused on the actual agency of healing and not the the position that we can put ourselves in as especially as we become we become more quote successful so I think marketing can be a way to keep us humble within that if we're genuine with ourselves. Well, yes. And that genuine piece, I mean, I'm just thinking about the stories that we tell. You know, the stories that we tell, if they, if they resonate with us, if they're actually congruent with how we see the world and how we see ourselves, how we see our work, we might be able to tell the story of authority, right? There are people out there that wear white coats, a stethoscope around their neck, and they got a bunch of research on their website. And they're portraying themselves as an authority because that's actually who they are. They love the research. They like being this go-to know-it person. And it works for them and who they are in their practice. Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't now, think authority depends on whether you're wearing that. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and then there's other folks, oh, we don't, that doesn't do it for us at all, right? If we try to do that, it won't work. Yes. And we, and, and, and I'm suggesting that there's a, a type that, that, a, that someone who is really addicted to their authority as, as a, what is the word I'm looking for is slipping an archetype. Mm. Someone who's, who's addicted to authority as an archetype. It doesn't matter how they're, it's a posturing, right? So it doesn't matter if they're wearing, if they're wearing a, um, a lab coat or if they're, if they're looking more like they, they came from Huashan Mountain. It, it matters not. It's how are, they, how are they identifying and interfacing with their own sense of self and what they're doing with their patients. And... And so some people who come into, I mean, we are considered alternative medicine, right? Which not my favorite term, but <laughs> there you have it. So some people who come, who come into an alternative medicine are still looking for an authority to, to abdicate to. It, it doesn't matter the, the mode of medicine they're having. They're, they're still wanting someone else to to tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not suggesting that's bad. I'm just saying, what are we, who, who are you as a practitioner and being really honest with that, then that's your, I think that's your responsibility. So the people who come to you are coming to you because that's what they want in a practitioner. Yeah. Well, I, and I suspect it takes time, not months, but it takes years to begin to grow into the kind of practitioner we are to enough so that we can begin to have a sense of our own authority of authority, inner authority, authenticity. Mm -hmm. yeah. Actually, let me, yeah. let me rephrase that. We can grow enough as practitioners that we get our own sense of authenticity. That becomes a kind of authority from the inside. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that it's a question of, of internal and external. I like that, mm. you know, and, and I think that one of the things that's so beautiful about Chinese medicine is that it strengthens everyone's internal authority, I believe. That's my experience with patients, is that they come to know themselves through this work in a way that they really didn't before. Well, they can. Like me. They can. They, of course. It's an opportunity. Yes, if, if they want if to. If they want to. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, you know, an experience that I've had with people be like, okay, they show up for let's just make something up, a shoulder. You know, they bring their shoulder and they're talking about their shoulder, this, that, about their shoulder. And as their shoulder gets better, they begin to, um, they begin to experience things differently. And the degree to which they take that is, is up to them. But, but I haven't really had the experience where people think that, they, they tend to think differently about their pain after having experienced acupuncture. And they may not extend that to their whole life, but they often do. They often do. Yeah. 
They often do. I've, I've had people with serious illnesses after a certain period of time be able to say, you know, I'm actually grateful to this really troublesome thing mm-hmm. I've got because mm-hmm. it has helped to open some things up in me that have changed the relationships in my life that maybe nothing else would have changed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very curious what these troublesome symptoms that we take mm-hmm. to the doctor might hold. Yes, if we unpack them. Yep, if we unpack them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think to your, to your point a minute ago about saying that it can take years to, to know the kind of practitioner you are, I, I think that that's true. And I also think that we can know who we are right now. And so some of the work that I, for example, that I do with people in marketing is we work to find out what I call their essence. Like, what, what are you doing? And I don't mean the tools you use, but I mean, what are you actually doing with people? Because I could bet that if you, Michael, were not an acupuncturist, whatever, whatever else you were doing instead, you would be kind of doing the same thing with people just through these other tools. Do you know what I'm saying? So let, let me tell you a little story about my background because okay. you're so spot on. And then, and then I want to get into maybe some things that our listeners could do for themselves. It sounds like you've got some tools and questions that might be helpful. Yeah. So people ask me what I used to do before I did acupuncture. And I said, well, I worked in high tech. I have the same job now as I had then. <laughs> and they look at me like, what? Nice. Back when I was doing high tech, here's what I did. I helped people solve problems they could not solve on their own using a technology that they didn't understand. Yes. What do I do today? I help people solve problems they have not been able to solve on their own using a technology they don't understand. I've got the same job. Love it. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. And you're not afraid of your marketing because you know what your job is, you know, like, like, you know, the service you're providing people. And and I love that. It's, and so I think as we change over time, that, that doesn't shift as much as the other things do. You know, maybe our mission changes, maybe how we put that in the world changes, or maybe the services change, but typically the essence might evolve Mm. or, you know, it, it might shift a bit, but it, it seems to, to me so far anyway, to really be the most constant piece because it, yeah. Well, here's the crazy thing, MB. It's taken me almost 20 years to figure that out. Well, (laughs) so, so it it sounds like you might have some ways of being able to dip your toe in that water, get a reading on, on who you are and what you're doing without having Mm -hmm. to wait 20 years. And (laughs) well, I, you know, I also think that when the time's right, the time's right. So that's, that's a part of it too. Well, it is, but I'll tell you something. Some good questions are usually helpful, and sometimes mm-hmm. a little focused inquiry into places that we don't even know exist, yeah. very helpful. Yeah. So so generally, when I'm working with, with people, I start with the essence statement, and because I, I really like to get it into words. You know, let's, let's name this thing, because for me, it's, this, it's the core that all the marketing is then built around. And because of that, it, it's not wobbly marketing, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not grabbing at, at what the Joneses are doing or any kind of buzzwordy wordy outside thing. It's built from, from the core of who you are. And, and so we start with the essence statement and it's the hardest and the weirdest for people. Typically, if I'm working with somebody who has, um, who is in some kind of, of healing arts modality, or especially an acupuncturist, it's much easier because I can use our language. You know, I can talk about the five elements. I can talk about, about the Chong in terms of, you know, how's that disseminating in your life, the unfolding of your Ming men, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so that's, that's helpful. So um, with, with other people, it's, it's a bit harder but well, you got to find the metaphors that they run. Right. On. Right. And which depending on who they are, it's, um, is often, it's always fun. It's not always easy, mm-hmm. but, but it's always fun. So the, the way that I think about the essence is there's really kind of one fundamental question that I think it boils down to. And that is, if, if I came into your space and just, 
took all your tools away, whatever they are, and you didn't have any, and your, your client or your patient or whatever came into the room and, and you still had to do, a, do the thing, what, what would you do? What is the thing that you're doing? And regardless of the tools or the implements you're, you're using to do it with. And that, after the initial resistance of, wow, what do you mean? Don't take my moxa. You know, that tends to, to get some really interesting thoughts going for people. It's a bit of a Zen koan there, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? I'm kind, yeah, I'm kind of into that. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, I, just, I was just listening into it there for a moment. Yeah, if I didn't have my needles, I don't use moxa much. My lungs can't put up with it. Mm, but you mm-hmm. know, if I didn't have my needles, mm-hmm. what would I do? Mm-hmm. What am I already doing? Right. How else would I be able to do what I do without the needles? That's a very invitingly troublesome question. <laughs> I love that. Invitingly troublesome. That's beautiful. What kind of things do people come up with? What what kind of things have you heard? So, or should we um, just leave this open to people and let them fill in the blank for themselves? I don't know. We should give them the answer I don't to know. this. This is uh, what do you do? I I can remember some. I'm happy to to tell you if you want uh, to. Well, you know, there's this part of me that's like, oh, I want to just leave people hanging so they chew on it because if you give them an idea, they'll go, oh yeah, yeah, me too. I agree. Let's let them chew. Let's let I them chew. Say- you know what? I'll tell you what. We're gonna let them chew, and maybe later. We'll come back to it and give a few examples. But then again, Love it. maybe we won't. Maybe not. Eh. Maybe not. Yeah. All right. but one thing I would like to say while they're chewing is that I, I um, am a little bit strict about this, really. And that is that it's not a complete sentence. I don't, I don't want to hear like three sentences. It's got to be, it's a sentence fragment. It's like five to seven words, oh. maybe. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's an essence. It's the essential. So that means a sentence like, fragment. Hey, wait! You're a writer. Yeah. You're not supposed to do sentence fragments. What, oh, what are you doing? You're breaking the rules. Come I'm on, terrible. Oh mm-hmm. I believe it's all malleable. Okay. Yeah. Yep. We we build all the words around. Oh God, I should that. I should have warned people early on to buckle the hell up. Oh my God. <laughs> oh mercy. Uh huh. Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. So we're going to let people chew on that. They're going to have to come up with a fruit. Well, they don't have to, but we're going to invite right. them to come up with a fragment. Chew on that, y'all. I, I want to mm-hmm. move into something else here that is near and dear to the heart of every single acupuncturist out there. What is it? Money. Money. Oh. Right? Right. Isn't it near and dear to our heart? It depends. You know, people have, have a lot of... Um, there's a lot of healing to do around money, I think. Well, I, I agree that there's that there's healing to do around money. And whether you love it or you hate it, I think it's near and dear to our heart because it's never that far away from so many of our internal conversations with ourselves. How about it's near and dear to our heart, but we may have a wall between it and our heart. And then I'm on board that it's near and dear to our heart. You know what I mean? Because like sometimes the pericardium is going to come right up between somebody and money and be like, oh, nope, I don't have issues around that. You're like, okay. I think it's so loaded. I I guess I see pericardium as part of heart. And I, at least for me, in my own ruminations on this, I've decided Mm -hmm. to take the wall down and just let it be near and dear to my heart, even all the kerfuffles that I have with it and all the opinions, good and bad, that I have about it. You know, did you ever see Wall Street back in the 80s with uh, Michael Douglas? I did not. Kurt Gecko. Uh-huh. Oh, it was a great movie. Anyway, he he plays this big Wall Street guy, and he is a greedy mofo. Yeah. And he's got this great line. He says, greed is good. Wow. Right? And, yeah. you know, what he's really saying is, you know, money, money's, money's, money's a fabulous thing. And I just kind of turn it around in my own mind and go, money is good. Mm-hmm. Money is good. I, I think greed is a problem, personally. Agreed. But I money, think, I think it's good. It, it, I do too. You do. Tell us yeah. why you think money's so dang good. I think money's so dang good because I think it's a symbol. And I think like, like anything else, we can use it 
well, I think money can be good. And I think that it's our, it's up to us. How do we, how do we use it? How do we receive it? You know, can we receive and, it? Yeah. And can we give it? Mm. Can we keep it? Can like, we give, you know, that, that's another good one. It's like, oh, I want it for free or, oh, it, it, you know, it costs me. Mm-hmm. Like, well, did you look at the value and see what you actually, right. what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's, um, it's, it's an energy, right? I mean, it's like how it's, it's so beautifully symbolic. It's how we show each other in the world that we appreciate each other mm. and that we, and that we value what the other is doing. And there, of course, are other ways too, obviously, but the money is a, is a big one. And so I, I think that's, I just think that's a relationship to nurture. And I think that, that often we find that we have blocks around money. It's one of those things that we're, that is so, I'm going to use the word loaded and that kind of makes me laugh, but it's so loaded for so many people. Yeah, it's like a bear trap. Oh man, you better watch it. Yeah. I mean, just the ideas that we have in our minds from, from our families of origin or culturally at large and just, you know, lots of money stories. And so how do we engage with that story? And are we, you know, are we the tragic hero? Like who do we want to be in it? And, and how can we rewrite it so that it's a healthy narrative and not like a, like Gollum sitting in the corner somewhere yeah. hoarding his precious. So what are some of the ways that you have learned to grapple, come to terms, write, rewrite, investigate money for yourself? You know, it's been, I mean, that's a big question and there are lots of answers. I, I think that for me, one of the most fundamental shifts happened when I, recognize the wall, the various walls and stories I had between myself and money. And there's a, um, there's a woman who's kind of interesting to me. Her, she's an Australian named Denise Duffield Thomas, and she works with women specifically and their money blocks. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot historically for women baggage wise about money. And I, you know, of course, as an acupuncturist, I, I believe in um, the eight extra vessels, you know, I, I believe in the, the ancestral influence that we inherit certain things and that that can be also in the form of things that don't show up in our bodies, you know, necessarily. So I've, I've thought a lot about it and that's been really neat for me unearthing how do I, what triggers me around money? You know, what do I find to be something that's like, no, that's not, no, you know, it would brings a strong reaction and, and what makes me uncomfortable. And, and if I take that back to money being like chi, chi is a relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that money is, is one of our, is, is a manifestation of chi. So how is that flowing for me? And, and I, I look at that a lot and am I answering your question directly enough? Well, we're, we're winding around, but this is a winding conversation, so that's perfectly <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's totally on the mark to go winding around the target. All right. Exactly. All right. Great. Do Great. you work with people and help them with their own working through issues with money and how they think and feel about it and relate to not, it? Not straightforwardly. It, you know, working with people in their marketing is a lot like working with people in the treatment room. Things come up. Oh, Working with people in marketing is like working with people in the treatment room. Absolutely. Tell me more about that. Well, so I think I've told you that I I believe that marketing is a mirror. Mm. And it's because if we're first diving deep into ourselves, which is what I'm doing with people, you know, saying, let's find this essence statement, they, they come they see lots of shadows too when they look in there. They find things they didn't expect, good or bad, or you know, just different from what they thought they find. Yeah, they get a bigger story about themselves. Yes, they do, and that, like, that's the good shit. From there, we can we can really build some beautiful marketing and some messaging around that. But the first part's a little scary, Michael. You know, it's like, wait, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. I I thought I had the answer to this, or this reveals to me something that that I've not really fully healed in myself. Mm -hmm. Or this is an area that I said I would never go. Right. Mm. Yes. All that kind of stuff. And so sometimes 
um, money comes up, typically not, not as directly. It's more of a scarcity kind of experience. I, I encounter a lot of that with people, you know, the scarcity mindset versus the abundant mindset. And what does that mean? In what ways is that showing up in my life? And, but, but yes, in that way, money comes up, but I'm not specifically, I don't have things in my process that focus on ways to heal that. But I, I mean, I will go places with people depending on their relationship that I'm, and, and I will say things about, about whatever I see, you know, in, in as long as it's within the, the realm of what seems appropriate. And I find that, that working with people, rapport building, of course, is something that we, that we do in as acupuncturists, obviously. So that's useful for me to be able to have difficult conversations with people about their marketing that they really weren't expecting. You know, they, they might have their own ideas about marketing. They might know it's hard for them or they might know they feel overwhelmed, but um, we encounter a lot of surprises. Mm -hmm. Can you share some of the surprises that you found? Let me think of one. It's going to take me a second. Take your time. Thank you. Let it percolate. Mm-hmm. So this was, this was a nice surprise. This was an example of, was working with a man who has a company that deploys software. It, it deploys a um, CRM for people. And oh, for, for our listeners that don't know what a CRM is, what's that? Oh, okay. So it's, it's a way, it's a, it's customer relationship management. So basically it stores your client's data and uh, can communicate with them in various ways, depending on what software you have and has different functionalities, but basically it's, it houses your data. It's usually huge and has a lot of things it can do. It can be generally incredibly overwhelming and super useful if you can figure out how to make it useful for your situation. And so that's what my client does for people. He, he sets up the CRM for them and identifies like, how do we, how do we customize this so that it's useful for you? Right. So you don't have your notes about things you got to do and people you got to contact and right. and stuff on a bunch of post-it notes and scraps of paper. <laughs> Making you crazy. Yeah. And yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Thank you. So as we were working together, he realized really the full scope of the service that he's providing for people. And he, he was kind of astonished to see like his own adaptability and nimble way of providing the service he provides. And I, I credit that to the essence statement really, because he was, he was doing kind of these surfacey statements. And I'm like, well, let's take it a little, let's take it down a little bit lower. Like, what are you doing underneath that? I think there's something underneath that. And, and he was like, Oh my God, wow. We're really, we're, we're kind of awesome. <laughs> like, Yes, you are. And, and so in that way, the, the experience was a little bit uncomfortable for him because he wasn't really sure what I meant exactly. And he had to go someplace a little bit unknowing and, and he went a little deeper and he saw the foundation of what he does and it's enabled him to really clarify his marketing. And that's been great. So this gets back to that thing that you were talking about. If you didn't have a CRM that you were installing in people's offices, mm -hmm. what would you be doing? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Can you share a little more of what that process is? So, you know, I mean, if people just wanted to do their own little exploration. Are there like a set of questions or is this really something that you do like an acupuncture treatment where, you know, it's unique and different to every person. You have to be in front of them. So I'm going to say yes, both A and B, you know, <laughs> one of those answers. Oh, you sound like a Chinese medicine practitioner. <laughs> It's both and. Worst. Oh, yeah. Okay. All <laughs> I right. am so I, into both and. I should have Love known. it. Okay. Love it. Like opposites. They're so related. It's uh, it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Yin and yang. No getting away from it. Okay. Right. No getting away from it. But mm -hmm. so, but I do go through a process with people. Uh, and I, like I said, I start with the essence because I think that that's the most fundamental and we build around that 
So a lot of people want to start with their mission. And like I, I really believe there's something deeper than the mission that, that we can find. And we've actually, with a couple of people, uh, we have then updated their mission statements because they're like, oh my God, the essence is, is this. And that doesn't really fit the mission. The mission has been a little bit wonky. Mm-hmm. And so we, we refit that. So I think of it as um, sort of as these spheres, like the essence is the smallest on the inside. And then outside from that is the mission statement. And outside from that is the messages, the messaging. And, and sometimes the mission and the messaging could flip. It depends on how you look at it. And then from there, I do what I call a word palette with people. So based on, because you, know you have font palettes and color palettes, mm, right? Yeah, word palette. Love it. I do a word palette. Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's fun. Uh, I, I tell this to people who know about the five elements, but I don't, I don't make it explicit with people who don't typically, but it's, it's in the five element principles. So looking at these words and kind of mapping them out and seeing like, are, are we really hanging in fire and great if we are, but does that reflect back to the essence? So we establish the tone and the words first, the tone, then the word palette. So a lot of my people are, are, and, and I have other words for these too, so that I'm not having to talk about the element. So yeah, building from that inside, from essence to mission to messages to tone. So you know what you want to say, how do you want to say it tone-wise? What words do you want to use? And then you have what I call scalable marketing because, I mean, Michael, you can make that as big or as little as mm-hmm. you want. But So you can apply it to whatever channels make sense. Not to every channel because you're going to make yourself crazy, but what makes sense for you to do? Where is the chi right now that is vital? And where is the chi that is kind of like stuck that you can move a little bit? Well, and it's all coming from this place of deep authenticity. It's all coming from a place of deep congruence. Yes, congruence. I love that word. Yeah, there's this great word in in Chinese. Oh God, I always screw up the tones. It's li. Li. And and it's li is the pattern of color in a piece of jade. Li is the grain inside of wood. Li is the texture of a fabric, right? Yeah. It's the stuff that runs through something that that it's made of. Oh, I love it. Deep congruence. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great character. Yes, that's beautiful. And you know what you read from my website in in the intro about people who's that, that I wrote about myself and who I like to work with, that is really inspired from my own essence work with myself and realizing that I like to work with people who have a sense of gung fu. Like, you know, I remember learning that, mm-hmm. that gung fu isn't just a martial art, but a chef has gung fu, uh, right. a farmer, you know, really connecting with the thing they are doing because it is their art made manifest. That's right. And that Lee reminds me of that. I think that those sound like friends. Yeah, that thing about Kung Fu, it's about effort and cultivation. Mm-hmm. And, and then something that comes out of that, attentiveness. Yes. Well said, sir. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that experience. And I think that when we're doing that for ourselves, then our marketing just it's just a natural blossom well it seems like it would be effortless if i i'm just thinking for myself and it's taken me years to get there because let me tell you when i first put up my first website in 1998 oh yeah wow just the beginning of the internet the beginning of my acupuncture practice i remember remember writing a very acupuncture is blah 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 and you know just kind of a you know, your basic sort of corporate vanilla, I'm not going to offend anybody and I'm certainly not going to interest anybody either right. type language. Yes. And and over the years, it's just naturally changed as I as I like reread stuff and go, who's that written? That That's not me. Mm-hmm. A couple years back, I took a look at the About Michael Max on my website. Yeah. It was, you know, Michael Max studied it, blah, blah. You know, it's like, who the fuck cares? Exactly. Nobody cares, right? Yes. Nobody cares. What would I write if I was actually going to write who I am and what I do? And I just thought, 
Ooh, that's a little scary. I don't know if I want to put that out in the world. Yes. That's really frightening, terrifying, actually. Mm -hmm. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to write it. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write what I actually want to write about who I am, what I do, and what you can expect. I'm going to write it with the promise I don't have to publish a word of it. Nice. And I wrote it and I put it away for a few days. I took it back out and I read it and I went, oh, you know what? That's me. Good for you. And I put it up on my website. And then how'd you feel? Did you have like the vulnerability hangover or did you feel liberated or kind of both? Liberated. Great. Liberated. And here's why I'm, and here's why I was liberated because the people that that jibes with, Mm -hmm. I want to see them. The people that it doesn't jibe with, I do not want them to waste their time, their money. And I don't, and and even more so, this is going to sound a little selfish. Mm Mm-mm. I don't. I do not want them to waste my time either. Yeah, it's beautiful. I don't think that's selfish at all because, I mean, really, like how it's so draining. It is so it's fucking so, draining. Yeah, exactly. God, and and how can you serve your other people? And you know, I, I feel like if you look at your schedule and there's somebody on there that's like, Ugh, that you look at that right. and you go, oh, then. I mean, that ain't right. Not right. Like that's, yep. No, that, that's true. It's not that, right for you. It's not right for them. It's not even right for your other patients because it. It, it takes up this, it's baggage and it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it takes away your presence. It, uh, it interferes with your lead. Yeah. With yeah. Your so, it just fucks up your lead. Fucks up your lead. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> so I love hearing what you have to say about getting to the essence, getting to the authenticity in a mindful way as a step one. I have stumbled my way through it over the course of many, many years. I mean, I find, you know, at this point, I'm pretty happy with what I got. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know that I never had anyone sit down with me and say, hey, you know what? Let's get to the very essence of who you are, what you do, and what you offer. Because then it's very easy to speak clearly, congruently, honestly about yourself through any of the multiple channels that you want to speak through. Mm-hmm. What a time Yeah. Thing. Oh my God. Where were you 20 years ago? <laughs> 20 years ago, where was I? Oh, I was probably in France getting my acupuncture treatment. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I was getting here. It just, it just took me a minute, you know. But yeah, I think that, and, and honestly, so I find that, that polarizing people is really vital. Mm. And so many people are resistant to that because it's, it's scary and you don't have to polarize people by shocking them. Like you don't, you can, if you want to, like, if that's your style, that's great. <laughs> you know, no, no shame in that, but, but it's possible to write something and to present yourself in a way that people can then self-select. Yes. They can raise their hands and say, yes, please. And that's polarizing. I love it. When you say raise your hands and say yes, please, it makes me think about someone, uh, you listeners that have listened to me before talk about Mark, and you're going to hear me say the name again because this guy's brilliant, Seth Godin. You're familiar with Uncle Seth, right? I am familiar with him. I will say I have not, I have not dived in, oh, so okay. I'm interested to hear what you have to well, say. He's Many people say he's a marketer, but I think he's just an astute observer of human nature and communication. Mm-hmm. And, and he, you know, his thing is do your art, ship it and help people. Yes. Which, which I love. And one of the things that he talks about as part of the marketing process that, that I used to not do. In fact, I avoided, he said in any marketing process, you need to create a little tension. Mm-hmm. So, right, it's just mm-hmm. what you were just talking about. You create a little tension, you let the tension work. You don't resolve the tension quickly. Yeah. In fact, if anything, build the tension a little bit. Let the person resolve it themselves mm-hmm. with either I'm in or I'm out. Either way, there'll be more commitment. I think that's true. And I think that's something that people can confuse with that. And, and this is kind of back to, what we were saying earlier about shysty marketing is that I think mm-hmm. people can FOMO hard, you know, fear of missing out. And I don't think tension requires that. 
No, no, really good tension doesn't. No, it's an invitation. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a fear-mongering process. So I believe definitely in like deadlines, you know, the doors open, the doors close for things. I think that's great for people give, to create urgency in that way. But I don't think it's appropriate or even necessary to, to try to frighten people. <laughs> like, you know. Well, it's a very effective way of of getting people's attention and selling them something. Frightening them? Yes. It's yes. very effective. I mean, you, you can effectively do that. You can. The question is, is that the life you want to live? If that is the question. Do you want to live in that? Because if you're using fear to monger and market, guess what you're going to be living with every day? You got it. Yeah. And I think especially, you know, I think it's one thing if you're selling pens and pound puppies, like if you're selling an item, I still don't like FOMO, but I can understand it a little differently than, than the kind of work we do where you're interacting with your people one-on-one. Your art is about how you're connecting with them and helping them to heal. And if that's based on scaring them, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the other thing is they've shown it doesn't work so well, right? Tell people if they keep eating the way they're eating their diabetes and they'll lose their legs. Yeah. You know, yeah. is that helpful? It's not really helpful. Yeah. What I understand is more helpful. Hey, if you eat this way, you're going to get a fat ass. Eat this way, you're going to be skinny and sexy. <laughs> Guess which one motivates better? Well, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, it's. I mean, it's a question of, again, like what you were saying before, inviting people. Are you inviting people into to, to take a step that they're scared to take? You know, like you can change your life and if you want to. And here's here's how. You know, here's something you can eat. And here's something you cannot eat. So talk to me a little bit more about how to invite when people already have fear. And you don't want to play on the fear. You don't want to play on the fear. That's right. They have fear. You know it's there. You you don't want to engage the fear. You want to engage something else. How do you invite in that situation? Yeah. And so are you you thinking mainly in marketing? Are you talking about like conversations in treatment rooms or just in general? Are they different? No, but I would use a different example. Oh, use whichever example comes to mind because, uh, yeah, because often I think about what I'm doing with my patients in service of helping them help themselves. Yes. I'm doing a little marketing, marketing them to them. Right, right. And, and showing them a possibility that, that maybe they can't see. Yeah. So, it, so whatever, whatever example you want to give is fine. So I think that I'll take it to marketing because it can be it can be such a great example for everything. So in marketing, one of the things that, that we learn is that knowing your ideal client or knowing the person you want to work with, knowing your target audience, whatever you want to call them, is of paramount importance, right? So you know their dreams, their desires, what they dread. So it, I do believe it's important to know their fears mm-hmm. because then you can speak to them without playing on them, like you said. And what I think it means to speak to their fears is to offer an alternative to, to say, yes, I see, I see this. I, I validate and understand this fear. And also this other thing is an option. There is choice. You have choice because you are human. And, and I think that's part of the nature of consciousness is that even when our options are limited, we have choice within them. And so I think that that's the role of effective marketing or of effective healing or effective communicating is helping us to see where our choice is and then helping to support stepping into that choice if that support's needed. I mean, sometimes people are like, oh, shit, great. Dust off their hands, you know, make the step. Another time, yeah. Another times that, that it feels more like a chasm between these two, these two realities. And so to help helping to bridge that. Hmm. I like that sound. I, yeah. It's a great, which, wait, which, <laughs> what the one of you, uh, the one you, the one you just did. Oh, I was thinking you just slapping your hands. <laughs> well, I like that sound too, but, <laughs> but the one you just did, that's yeah. I mean, cause we all know how that feels, right? Just, Oh yeah. Yeah. 
this is what I remembered I can be. Yeah. So we're back, we're back to where we were in the beginning, helping people remember something that they'd forgotten. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder if, if patients coming in have their own essence statement that, uh, Maybe if I learned to tune my ears to it, uh, it would help me better in being able to help them. I think so. I, th- I think it's it's like what is our, you know, another word I like a lot is affinity. Mm. What what kind of affinity do you have with your patients? And and so that's what marketing, of course, helps us with. And it's polarization, right? Is being like, okay, yes, I raise my hand. I have an affinity, and and then within that. The, the people who come and you're working with, you're going to have different levels of affinity. You're going to have these different, these different connections. It's different with Bill than it is with Judy, you know, of course, because Bill's an individual and so is Judy. And this is a medicine that treats the individual as a whole complex being. And you're a whole complex being too. And so, you know, how does that, how does that work? And I, I love thinking about that, that, that each, each person has kind of their own essence statement. Well, yeah, I like it too. Is this something that you think about in your clinical work that, oh, my patients have an essence statement and part of my job is to get to it? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's how, that's how I came across that language for marketing because of what I was doing in the treatment room with people. And, and it's also why I like to work with the kinds of people I do because I noticed that when I was working with this one particular artist – she would walk in and she would, you know, she'd be on the table and I'd walk in and I'd say, so how are the muses? <laughs> and <laughs> she'd be like, oh, you know, and either, either the muses were right there with her or they were telling her she had to wait and she didn't want to wait. God damn it. You know, <laughs> like whatever. And so I really felt like, and we worked a lot with, with the eight extras with, with the essence specifically. And and then often we would work with the lows as well because there would be this kind of non-circulating chi that would get that would get bound up in the low vessel way and and so I began to think about that in terms of marketing obviously like you do and borrowed some of our of our language when you're working with your patients and you're looking to tap in get a sense of of what their essence statement is. Mm-hmm. This, this may be too big of a question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Great. What are some of the things that you do? How do you, because you're not sitting down and saying, I've got this writing exercise for you and I'm looking for a fragment. I, I don't, totally. you're probably not doing that. Yeah, that's what, true. What are you doing? Often, often I will ask them to describe something. So it, it could be like, let's say I'm feeling the pulses or listening to them as I more think of it as listening to the pulses. So I often ask questions during that time because there might be something that shows up that I'm like curious about. And so I ask a question typically relationship based. It's, it's often like how they, how they relate to something. So let's say that they're there. uh, They're, they're in my room with a physical complaint. I might ask them if they could, visually describe it to me or like if do they get a picture in their head when they feel their pain like is it like a a big glowing rock or does it feel like like knives in it or something like that so that I might take it to a visual piece or I might ask them to talk to their pain like what would they say to it how do they engage with it in their minds or it could be a relationship or a, a role they have that I might ask them to describe so I might ask them to describe a couple of things and then look for similarities between how they orient to those things that mm-hmm. are central in their lives. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes that gives me all the information that I feel like I've, I need, you know, the question that I have is, is answered. And sometimes I'll bring it out explicitly. I might say, you know, last time you said this about your daughter and this time you're saying this about your knee and I'm noticing this. What do you think about that? And then we have a conversation Wow. You are way off the usual 10 questions, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, I don't remember what they are. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, probably. 
probably way off the 10 questions. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing about the 10 questions, what, whatever they are. Yeah, bless them. They're a way of beginning an inquiry mm-hmm. into things that people often don't inquire into. Yes. And I think that inquiring into things that people don't often inquire into, or like what you're doing, inviting them to inquire a little more mindfully or come in from a slightly different perspective with the inquirer, if it's a pain, asking them to talk about it visually, mm-hmm. you're bringing more senses to bear. Yes. You're bringing more sensing to bear mm-hmm. on this situation. That I can't, I mean, I imagine that can't but help to flesh things out. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I think of with, with acupuncture as an experience is that it really is helping people come to their senses. Mm. And I, I think I mean, that's a phrase I use coming to your senses. And I, and I have these, these different modules that maybe one day I'll turn into something, but so far they're just for my, for my amusement and development. But I think so many of us are blocked off from at least one of our senses, often more than one, and we don't trust them. You know, like things can be, it's not always what it seems or, um, no, I think that's I think that's the negative side of of the gold standard of the double blind placebo is that then again we're outsourcing our authority and believing that that maybe we can't trust ourselves and what we perceive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And while there's truth in that, it's not the whole truth, right? right. Reminds me of what Bensky said on your podcast that I listened to when he was talking about. Um, when he first got into Chinese medicine and when he had that experience with the herbs and he thought, well, I'll just, uh, I'll just find out what's, you know, important here and extract it. And then we'll do something interesting. And when he said that, you know, it was so funny. <laughs> I loved it. I laughed. Oops. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. There's <laughs> interdependence. And yeah. So I think that that's, that's what's wonderful about and, and at times frustrating, of course, because it is and both. Yes. There you go. Well, you know, if I'm taking anything away from this conversation, it's the reminder of and both. Yeah. Which I seem to get slapped upside the head with <laughs> constantly. I'm, I'm, I'm like constantly coming down on the side of one or the other. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, well, the double blind studies, the gold standard, la, 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 la. Well, that actually does not help us to understand Chinese medicine. Right. By the same token, crafting some giant cosmology in our head because we think it's a cool thing, well, that doesn't necessarily help us treat patients either. I agree. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think it's I think it's attention. Something you said earlier, and I don't even remember how you said it, but I loved it, about attentiveness and cultivation. I feel like that's really- Gong Fu. Yeah. Gong Fu. Yes. That's Gong Fu. Right? Back to it. Back to it. That's- that's what it is. And that's the magic of humans. I mean, my God, they're amazing. Humans. Bless them. (laughs) (laughs) That's just incredible. Well, my friend, this seems like a fairly good place to uh, start to wind this thing down or it could go on for hours. Have you you got anything else that you'd like to share with us before we uh, say goodbye for today? How about I tell one essence statement that I can remember? Oh, okay. All right. All right. We'll come back to it. Thank you for remembering. Yeah. Y'all, y'all have been chewing on your essence statement, right? In <laughs> fact, before you listen to this, you might want to write yours down so you don't get contaminated. That's right. Okay. Less chance. All right. So this one was um, a yoga therapist. And she said her essence statement is to create space and open potential. I love that one. Mm. That's what she's doing with people. She's creating space and opening potential. And that's what she does with people in her life, whether or not she's doing her Whether she's got a yoga mat or not. Yeah. Oh man, that's great. Okay. Well, um, MB, are you, are you like working with people? Do you, I mean, if, if one of our listeners was like, oh, I'm gonna, I need some help here. Do you work with folks on this stuff or are you like too busy with your practice these days? I do work with folks on this stuff. And what I do is I, I work with just a couple folks at a time. Mm-hmm. So I have um, 
they could, I, I do all things through, um, phone calls. That's just how I start things up. You know, people might do an inquiry or do a referral and we just schedule a, a time and I've got a, a thing on my website that if someone's interested, they can look at and which is marybethhuey.com. And like you said, Huey, Huey is spelled exactly like you would think, which is H U W E. And that's, that's how I do things. So if we feel like it's a good match, then we, then we do something together. Sounds great. I'll be sure to put all that up on the show notes and anything else that you might want to pass along. We'll put it up well, there thank too. You. Yep. Yeah. And B, thank you for a delightful conversation. My pleasure. Thank you for calling me off the rails or whatever it was. It was real sweet. I liked it. <laughs>